Welcome back to Geek Life, Panamanga.com's very own podcast. I'm JP. As always with me is my fearless co-host, the Brian. Don't faint the funk on the nasty dunk. And Joe. My God, I can't follow that. <laughs> with us again, we have Pinku. Uh, konbanwa. <laughs> and Nero. Tryharding it for you all out there in Radioland. So tonight we're talking Compass Comics and more comics. First, we'll Indie Spotlight, an exciting webcomic. Well, I guess it's kind of webcomic. You'll see when we get there. And then we'll be talking about the indie comic, actually reviewing the indie comic, Poor Mick by Cat Martin. Who Volumes actually, 1 and 2. Volumes 1 and 2. Yeah, actually, and we met Cat at Big Wow. She was really, really cool. Had a good time getting to know her a little bit and really enjoyed her comic. Looking forward to talking about it. But first, a little housekeeping. First up on housekeeping, we want to remind you guys to go and support Neuro's exciting crowdfunding project over on Indiegogo called Vidcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it again? Vidcast is an app that we currently have 1.0 out, and we're looking to raise funding to build 2.0, which allow people to share media, whether it's your own media or media on YouTube, Vimeo, SoundCloud, and put together a playlist. Or you can actually have people send in requests, so you can kind of do a DJ thing. Um, and uh, you just all enjoy the media in real time. And you're able to talk and chat together at the same, not yes. chat, like text chat. Watch yeah. video and chat. So, yeah, basically you all get to watch the same video at the same time and chat about it. It's very cool. It's a community watching. Very awesome. Yes, and since I don't have a crystal ball, I don't know how well we're doing the campaign. But at this point, with this podcast is there. We're probably about halfway through it. So we're probably doing pretty good. So. Probably, yeah, doing pretty, 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 pretty. And Thanks for all your help. So make sure to go to Indiegogo.com and search for Vidcast and make sure to check it out and fund it. It's an exciting project. Really looking forward to seeing the sort of natural, organic community that's very likely going to pop up around. It's a great idea and lots of fun things. Just sitting around in between the podcast, we're talking about all kinds of fun stuff that you could do with it and all these ideas for events and stuff. It's it's a cool idea, man. Very cool. Yeah, and you can do live events. So someone's taken like Google Hangouts and attached it to um, the – you can plug it in there and so you can have a, a live stream while you chat too. It's completely awesome. It's completely awesome. Also, exciting news. I know that I've mentioned Brad Langer's The Narwhal Night before. Brad and I have been working on The Narwhal Night section of Pandamanga.com, and it is on track to being released in early September. So stay tuned for that. Very exciting. It's a great comic. And just looking forward to sharing it with our community. Good stuff. Thanks again, Brad, for partnering with us. We are so excited to have your your work on the site. Good stuff. Very, very cool. I am the Narwhal. Anime? Finally, we want to remind you guys that SAC Anime is coming up at the end of the month, August 30th through September 1st at the SAC Convention Center and Sheridan Grand Hotel. We are expecting to be there at least on Sunday, but we're hoping to be able to be there the whole weekend. Of course, we'll be there covering all of the indie side of the event, basically mucking around an artist's alley and talking to all the exciting and cool, talented folks there who do self-publishing, self-press, small press. So yeah, so hopefully we'll see you guys there on Sunday. It's a great, great convention. We had a lot of fun being there a little while ago. We actually missed the last one, but we were there for the previous one and just enjoyed the hell out of it. It's a great convention. Lots of good panels and exciting guests and a really actually pretty darn good artist tally. So, yeah, hopefully we'll see you guys there. Again, that's August 30th through September 1st at the SAC Convention Center and Sheridan Grand Hotel. Let's just go ahead and get into our indie spotlight of the week. This week, we're going to spotlight... Not so much an indie comic or a webcomic. We're going to spotlight an artist and slash writer. So tonight we're talking about Kostas Kyriakakis is how I'm going to say your name. And I'm sorry, Kostas, if I'm saying it wrong, but that's what it looks like to me. This is, again, the uh, Geek Life slash Butcher Your Names podcast. You can find this, if you would like to follow along, at kyriakakis.net, which is K-I-R-I-A-K-A-K-I-S dot net. Again, that's K-I-R-I-A-K-A-K-I-S dot net. Lots of K's. And what we're talking about tonight, if you want to go to the site, you will see on the left side there is a navigation. And go ahead and just click on the comics section. And there's several different comics, Mused, Shorts, and Strips. And we're going to talk a little bit about each, but more extensively about Mused. So I'll just go ahead and read what Costa says here in the About section about Mused. A little about how Mused came to be. I'm not sure when it all started. It feels like it's been lurking in my brain forever. These strange characters kept popping up in my head, hijacking my thoughts, trying to get involved in everything. They've been living as doodles on countless scraps of paper and sketchbooks scattered around my studio for a really long time. Some are more than 10 years old. And 
Although these characters demand so much attention, the whole thing always felt a little too arbitrary. I remember giving it a try now and then, but I never seemed to get a clear vision of how to go about it. Nothing really solid came out on paper. Since they wouldn't stop pestering me, I decided at some point to go ahead and do it anyway. I was going to give them a place to be so they could get out of my head for a while. Even a crappy one. Now, what I usually do is familiarize myself with my story's geography first, explore the alternatives, find a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then act as a tour guide, planning the most exciting possible route I can think of for my imaginary reader to travel through. This is not the case. Mused is an actual exploration itself. I don't have a clue what comes next. No plans. Turns out the most difficult thing about that is fighting the constant urge to get back in control which is another way of saying I desperately need to get back in my comfort zone. Playing it safe all the time isn't a very expansive strategy, especially in the creative process. So, in a way, it boils down to an exercise in courage, really, remembering that it's okay to let go. Make mistakes, play around, go nuts, have fun. I can only hope you'll enjoy it, too. So, actually, the way we came across this, well, the way I came across this is Joe. So, Joe, how did you find this guy? I actually came across this when Melissa Pagluisa posted this on Facebook. Uh, so, Melissa, this is all your fault in a good way. It is. Yes. Dark She'll Sun be Rose at pretty much anywhere you can. Yeah, so you find can find that. Melissa at Dark Sun Rose on, on Tumblr. Twitter, Tumblr, DeviantArt, pretty much everywhere you can have a screen name. She's a very, very talented artist and mm-hmm. a very wise, creative person. So, Indeed. thanks again for hooking us up with this. Yeah. I, you know, I don't usually click on. You know, everything everyone posts, because then I would never leave Facebook. But yep. but some about this one caught my eye. And, you know, of course, love Melissa, love her work. So, but what the hell? I trust her judgment. Click. And I, I scrolled through the entire first one. What was uh, A Day the in the Park? Called a Day at the Park. A Day at the Park. Read through the whole thing. I could not stop reading it. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So then you posted it, and in turn, I thought, we have to talk about this. Yes. Extraordinary. Unfortunately, there's not a whole heck of a lot on the site. Two in the Muse section, and they're both a good long read. Mm-hmm. Probably enough for, I would say, almost an issue each, really. Easy. You know, maybe a mini issue. But, yeah, I mean, pretty good and long. And then there's a couple good shorts, and then actually a few beautiful previews of something that he's had in a compilation. They are gorgeous. Yeah, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, I really wanted to talk about what drew us to... Costas's website in the first place, which is Mused. So Muse starts out with a gentleman with a well, basically just one giant head of an eye, <laughs> giant eye for yeah. a head, and with little wings, and little tiny wings on his back, and he's sitting on a park bench with a box on his lap, just kind of chilling. And this oh, big like lizard-looking dude comes up and says, "May I?" And he says, "Of course." And then the guy just kind of helps himself and sits down, starts reading the paper. Basically, they sit down and start having a conversation, and the and the the gentleman, the lizard gentleman, asks the giant eyeballed gentleman what it is that he has in that box, and it it just spins off into this fantastic conversation about comparing, contrasting the worth of questions and answers, and it really gets it gets really deep, right? I mean, I it's very deep. Yeah, it's a really complex look at the merit of knowing. As opposed to the the value of seeking. So here, I'll read a little excerpt. Basically, the, the gentleman with the giant eye advocates that questions are much more worthwhile than answers. And that he actually likes to collect questions in his box and treats them almost as living things. Whereas the lizard gentleman thinks that questions aren't really worth much. It's answers. Answers that are worth something. And he, to me, he sort of in, sort of embodies the older, set-in-their-ways type of person who's not so much interested in or really willing to put themselves in a situation where they're feeling confused and weak because they're not comfortable or, or basically they don't have the answers. You know, in a situation where you don't know what's happening and you're, you're having to learn and feel vulnerable, it seems like that is the, the kind of relationship that they're trying to share there, is that, you know, typically the role of a, of a young person who's insi- excited and inspired. You know, I think of somebody who just went to college and their mind is opening and expanding to all these new ideas and this world knowledge and these philosophies. And, and it's like they're just, they're a sponge and, oh, just asking questions all the time. And then having a conversation with someone who's sort of older and seemingly set in their ways and feels like they have a good grip on the way the world works and doesn't really have any interest in 
yeah, maybe changing the way that they feel about things. Why would I have to learn something new? I already know enough that I need. Exactly. So here's a great little monologue here. I'll just take an excerpt. It's quite long. I don't want to give it all away because I, I want to encourage you guys to go to the site and check this out. So Mr. Giant Eyeball Man says, Answers, as I see it, are useful to have around, but kind of boring. I mean, they don't seem to participate in the ever-transforming dance of the whole universe, as we are. Sticking with them means you lose out on most of the fun. Reality can change as easily as the way you care to see it. An answer, static in nature as it is, refers to one frozen snapshot of that reality. Its value can only go down. Today's treasure could be tomorrow's garbage. Questions, on the other hand, seem to keep up with the dance, and if anything, their value can grow. It makes little sense to collect anything that could lose value over time, don't you think? And the lizard says, well, I think that such radical ideas belong to youngsters such as yourself. So, again, I, like I said, I don't really want to give away a whole lot more of that, but it's just a fantastic conversation that they have sitting there on a park bench just hanging out, having really a, a deep existential kind of conversation about what is more worthwhile, questions or answers, and not questions so much mm -hmm. as a simple, why is the sky blue, what is the color of that car, but it's more like questions, big questions. You know, like what's the purpose in life and what's happiness and those sort of things. And and it, it's kind of like those are the thoughts that just keep on giving. Whereas an answer, like you said, is sort of a static snapshot of your particular vision of reality at that one moment. I found myself reading it and rereading it and just enjoying it so much. It's just there's a richness of understanding and curiosity and just, I don't know, I, I thought it was fantastic. It really resonated with me quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I used to have philosophical arguments like that with a buddy of mine back in the day, like all the time. Isn't that where so, the, the podcast came from? His podcast? kind of Partially, story? yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a really great idea. Brian is referring to a friend of ours, and he used to do what he called talk night, where he would get together a bunch of friends and they would sit down and have a subject and talk about it. Yeah, just and Eventually, they started <laughs> recording it. <laughs> Although it was sort of a short-lived podcast. It's a little kind of on hiatus right now, but... It's just, it's very cool. It's a yeah. great idea to really sit down and have a good conversation. It's like back, that. but no longer in podcast form. Oh, <laughs> I see. <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, what, what did you guys think about this this particular piece here? Well, um, I don't know if this was intended, but actually I was, I was just uh, paying attention to my experience with the comic. And when you go from the landing page where it has the, you know, the different comics and it has like the little preview in the thumbnail, it has this black and white preview of that comic and the other comic that's on that page. I think what was really interesting is when after I clicked on the preview of the thumbnail, it showed it again, you know, when it loaded the actual comic, but it was in a sepia tone. And to me, it sort of it actually made me pause and gasp for a minute, because yeah. not only because it's like really gorgeous. It's just a really gorgeous sketch and, you know, a really gorgeous piece of artwork in, in general. But um, because what happened was it sort of immediately when you go from the black and white, like, oh, well, here's a preview to the actual comic itself. It set this tone of like this warm world that's sort of kind of inviting just because just by that little switch. Yeah. It's like last week we were talking about what was it? Sidekick quests about how the palette really communicates a lot. And this one, the very simple, I mean, almost monochrome palette. Yeah. It's is, black and sepia. Yeah. Is just, mm -hmm. oh, it's, it's beautiful, but it also really sets the tone for this sort of pensive conversation. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, it's also um, kind of dreamlike too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Makes you yeah. read read the text in a little more softer of a voice mm -hmm. do you guys do that kind of read in the in the pace that it feels like it's going sure yeah i get what mm -hmm. you're saying it's like a gut feeling yeah and this one the really soft inviting colors makes it feel like you should be reading it like a very gentle voiced young person talking to kind of a more older person and just it sounds pleasant. I, I kind of got that. And I also kind of like, I heard the noises of the park and that kind of thing too when I saw it. And because of that, that sort of tone that it sets when you when you first go to it, it made me sort of hear the noises of the area that was there that you're seeing in the panels. And that might be just a testament to, you know, the skill of his work and his ability to handle light. Even in this situation, it doesn't really require a ton of changes in lighting and things like that. But it was really effective and really strong just right at the beginning. What did you think of the creature design? Very interesting. Yeah, it was really cool. Very unique. You can tell how this creature... I can I could understand how he would say that these creatures have been clanging around in his head and he just had to get them out because they're so interesting. Yeah. Well, they um they seem really characteristic of what, what they're touting in, 
each story because the guy who's seeking knowledge and that sort of thing is like this tiny little thing is tiny he's a big giant eye observing yeah, it's, things it's, a, it's an eyeball but also like the, the shape of the way the lid closes it sort of looks kind of youthful because it looks like a dude in a hoodie too yes yes actually that's a really good point hmm. i didn't notice that I think also kind of like the striped shirt sort of adds to the youthfulness of it mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, and, and I'm sure, but you know, the skinny versus the large uh, lizard yeah. with the, you know, the narrow yeah, eyes. The, and, and the lizard has bed. sort of a coat with a with a skinny tie on it, sort mm-hmm. of old-fashioned stylings and mm-hmm. looks has very, a cane. Yeah, it looks very proper for a giant lizard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a very proper giant lizard. He just got back from lizard church. He's a sir. Yeah, classy lizard. Have you never met old giant proper lizards, JP? No, I've not. Are you familiar with them? Friends with them? You go visit the lizard people underground? Every now and then. Mm-hmm. He does resemble quite the, you know, stereotypical. Know? I mean, Joe, back me up on this one, right? <laughs> Come on. Everyone knows only the mole people live underground. <laughs> Do you take their tails at the door? What? <laughs> you guys. Way back, back at the by point. The time they leave. <laughs> I really enjoyed how the characters really stood their ground in the conversation and really did a magnificent job of expressing two very different opinions um, on the same subject, both seemingly founded in in logic and and experience. But I really, I mean, obviously resonated with the youthful giant eyed guy who is an advocate for questions over answers. Mm -hmm. Again, he actually a little ways in they had because there's several back and forths. And the gentleman who's an advocate for for answers poses to him, so do you don't think that answers have any value? And he says, no, answers give us a direction, a place to go. It's important, but I still feel like questions are, are more worthwhile if I had mm-hmm. to choose one, you know. And they just go back and forth, and there's... there's they both make great points. Yeah, they do. They both make great points. And, and the the sort of aggressive nature of the lizard guy seeming to be a little bit... I don't know, threatened defensive. by the idea. Yeah, defensive or threatened by the ideas that the giant I do. I wish I had names for these guys. <laughs> well, in the other comic, he gets named I. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so we can just <laughs> call him I. Anyway, so I just love the way that their conversation goes back and forth. And instead of making a, a statement and that's it, it's like there's a willingness to to dig deeper, to hear the other side. It's not... I guess what I'm saying is is that sometimes when you get a comic that is like this, that's really hitting us a, a deep and interesting subject, it can get really preachy. Mm. Yes. And this did not come across that way at all. It came across like a, a well-informed and interesting and just well-created, a well-crafted, very sort of pensive, thoughtful conversation. Mm. Not really advocating one way or the other, obviously leaning more towards the question side because in the conversation he seems more reasonable Mm -hmm. and more calm. But at the same time, both sides are are really well shown here. And there's a good a good genuine curious conversation between the two of them about like, well, how do you feel about this? Why do I this is how I feel about this. Well how do you feel about that? And then going back and forth and it it draws out a much deeper level of of understanding of the subject. It's just a great conversation. Mm -hmm. Such excellent writing. And they don't leave on a negative note. They, no, not at all. Neither one has been turned to the other side. And it it's a refreshing, for you know, lack of a more friendly term, argument mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. leaves, I think, both sides with a better understanding of why they chose their side. Well, I, you know, it's a testament to the writing and, and the... And the you know, the way that it's drawn with the different different camera angles and backgrounds and it, it it felt interesting and dynamic and I was enthralled from beginning to end and it's just two guys sitting on a park having a conversation. <laughs> like that's impressive, right? I mean that's yeah. that's a feat, I think. Well I think a lot of this comic is a testament to it really tells me more about the the artist himself more yeah. than it tells me you know, because it raises these questions, but to me it sees to me, I just see somebody where he's able to be emphatic to both side to both characters in his comics. And it's really interesting because sometimes people make comics and characters and you can kind of tell that they just make one as a punching bag or a <laughs> scapegoat and that sort of thing while they have their other characters, you know, run their course in the story. But sure. with this one, he has, you know, empathy for both characters. And it's interesting how it's uh, how I'm, I'm seeing you guys react to it because you're seeing it as like the uh as you know, this versus this, I see it as the same person, but in two different parts of their life, mm-hmm. you know, Ooh, sort of talking to each other because I, I don't know. That's just, that's just what it seemed. That's what it struck me as is. I don't, I don't know. I think the reason why I don't see it that way is that I like to think that if you are willing to go through the, the genuine F 
extra effort and discomfort that goes along with being the kind of person who perpetually is more interested in questions than answers, that you can maintain that through your whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, you meet some people who are set in their ways and uninterested in new ways of thinking, and then you meet other people that simply are more interested in the right way. And they're not tangled up. Their self-worth isn't tangled up with their ideas or the answers that they've drawn or the conclusions, I guess, in this case, that they've already drawn. They're more interested in finding the best in the right way, and they don't feel like there's any kind of mixing of their self-worth and their conclusions. It's like if somebody comes along and says, hey, this is a better way. Why don't you try that? They don't feel offended. They feel like, oh, let's hear it. You know, I feel like I feel like in life we can continue on like that. It's just one of those. It's a philosophical debate about, you know, opposite sides of the same question. I've had conversations similar to this, nowhere near as well articulated and deep, (laughs) but I've had conversations similar to this and and have felt these feelings that, you know, really allowed me to resonate with I quite a bit. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it, it just it, both of them sort of remind me of people I know in different parts of their life, which yeah. is why I thought of that. Where I, you see somebody who starts out one way and ends up the other way, or even starts, you know, thinking they know the answers and ends up becoming the opposite person, which might not be as common since a lot of people are. Um, since it's easy for us to associate the I character with youth in general, but it's, but uh, yeah, I guess in in terms of that, in the way he presented the characters himself, it made me sort of emphatic toward them too. Mm-hmm. Where I resonated more towards the gentlemanly lizard man. Did you really? Yes. Are you serious? Yes. Interesting. And I say, if you if you don't flip flop on an issue, you really haven't explored both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, uh, obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about that one. The content of the comic. I mean, it's so well. <laughs> it's a very good comic. I mean, it's very worth your time. It's excellent. Oh, absolutely, excellent. And of course, because we came across that and read that. I thought, oh, man, we got to talk about this. I'm glad we are. But there's other good things on the site as well. Everything on the site seems to be powerful. It makes a, a good connection with the reader and has something good to say. It's not just funny. It's a lot of it. A lot of it seems to have this sort of a, a poignant, uh, you know, idea that he wants to get across. The two that stand out to me, and one of them is just a super quick to read anyway, a super quick strip called "Skill versus Expression." And has this this uh, little kid who draws a circle on the wall. And then a gentleman who's taller, obviously older, and seemingly in a suit, walks up. And his thought bubble has a, a thumbs up with little sparkles around it. Obviously, he's like, yeah, that's great. It's really good. I like your circle. And then he says, hey, can you can you draw a square? It, 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 obviously, these are not words, actually. His thought bubble says, question mark, square, and then has a little... And the square is kind of unfinished and has a pencil drawing it, pointing at the kid. And uh, the kid goes back and says, I heart circle. But then the the gentleman in the suit says, but square equals money. <laughs> and pointing at the kid. And the little kid has a question mark over his head and he's kind of frowning. And it's like, that is in almost no words at all, <laughs> probably one of the best expressions of what it feels like to do art for money. <laughs> to do design say? work. <laughs> I mean, you were saying, you said on your last podcast that, or on the last podcast, Pink, that you say, I make crap all week for money. <laughs> I make pieces of shit all day for money. <laughs> It's like, that's kind of what it feels like. It's like you have this expression deep down that you want to share and people don't want to pay for that. They want to pay for crap. (laughs) They want to pay for something else. They're like, oh, you're really good, but don't do what you want. Don't do what you think is special and important and worth saying. Do this over here. That'll make you money. Over at theoatmeal.com, they have a great like comic strip that says like how web design goes to hell or something like that. And pretty much that's... The epitome of what we're talking about right there. Well, at the end of the day, it's all about communication. They can say, I want exactly X, but you have to get to the reasons they want X. And if you can get them back to like goals and not talk about specifics, like it's it's not that we're going to draw you a square. It's like, why do you want a square? And I can solve that for you. So there's there's ways to negotiate it so you can actually uh, end up with something that you can prize and they 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 uh, they felt like they were collaborated and got something yeah, out of it. Yeah, it's too. just really hard is it is all it's hard to just it's hard to explain yourself and defend yourself when you know, you know, when you're like but this is good. Well, it's a completely anyway, different skill you have to develop. Right, it is. But thematically, I actually thought there was a lot of um there's a lot of uh commonalities between that comic and the one we were just talking about mm-hmm. because it's establishment versus or it's um yeah, it's establishment versus uh non-establishment in a lot of ways. Right. And I know we didn't specifically mention that with the first comic, but it's it's that same kind of theme. This is the tried and true way, and this is not. It's rich writing. There's a lot there, even when it's simply communicated like that. It's great. 
tells me a lot about what the artist is going through again. Yeah. Well, the other and final one that I really wanted to bring up is one called The Witch's House. Did you guys read that one? I don't think I did. No, I didn't find it. So it was in the shorts, and it's only six pages long, and it is really beautiful. The stuff in his shorts is amazing. Absolutely gorgeous. But this one is really interesting. It has a gentleman standing in a suit, and he's out in front of this beaten-down old house. And he says, corner of Jefferson and Rosebud, 369 steps, 12 full pedal strokes, three alleys down, my parents' house. The witch's old house. And then it cuts to another thing right away, to three children, two boys and a girl, standing out in front of the house, kind of daring each other to go in there, telling stories. Oh, the scary old witch lives in there. Nah, nah, you know. And then there's a subtitle on the bottom that says, When exactly did we abandon imagination? Then has the kids coming inside. And the monologue continues. When did we let the inexorable light of reason find its way to our most magical darks? Did we forget which ingredients are crucial to sustain a mystery, or which ones to leave out? The amazing ability of the human mind to create everything out of nothing. And through that monologue, the kids are walking in and talking about the scary witch, and then they see some kind of bird, and they drop the flashlight, and and at the point where it says to create everything, it has the behind the bird, the shadow turns into this big, scary monster. And then the final piece that says, out of nothing has the bird just standing there and the flashlight laying next to it. Obviously saying that, you know, whatever happened to that fanciful childlike way of being able to see more and be... And there's just a, this this sort of longing there for that sort of childlike Seeking out wonder. things versus knowing yeah. things, again, mm. thematically. As, right. So then he goes on to explain what happened to the three kids. He says, Bobby grew up to become a teacher. Cancer decided to take him away much too soon. Annie is now a happy mother of two. As for me, and it cuts back to the gentleman standing out in front of the house, obviously many years later, somebody comes up next to him in a hard hat and says, Excuse me, sir, town hall call. They're asking, why aren't we done yet? The crew is waiting. Is there a problem? And the gentleman who was talking and obviously narrating the story puts on his own hard hat and says, No, no problem. Proceed as planned. And it pulls back and shows a tractor coming up to the house. And the final piece says, finishing his thought of, As for me, I am, in quotes, successful. It's just like, man, hmm. this is powerful stuff. Like, everything in here is so powerful. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> it's just so good. I really am enjoying it a lot. Yeah, he's definitely not writing anything he hasn't really thought out. Like, nothing is up here that he half-assed. He continues to create an emotional connection, an emotional draw, reaction with these. I mean, it's six pages. And at the end of it, I was like, Wow. <laughs> I feel different than before I started <laughs> listening to it. I mean, you know, like for you to read six pages and go, I feel different. Like he, my emotions, he was able to, in six pages, change my emotional state. How I dare guess. you make me feel feelings? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm angry. Uh, the more I hear about it, more it makes me think of that book made to stick. I was uh, reviewing last week. Uh, he, he does employ a lot of the tactics of having like these schemas, you know, haunted house, things being sure. attached to and then. You're putting twists on it. And he also keeps you asking questions. So, and creating mysteries, which are another theme. There's a couple other things in the shorts page where he gives a a short couple of page preview of something that he had put in in what's called the Flight Anthology. He's been in Flight Anthology Volume 7 and Volume 8. Ooh, that's a big one. Yeah. 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 So you can go onto Amazon and look up Flight Anthology. You can also have links. There are also links to it right through here, right through his website. Again, that's Kiriakis.net. That's K-I-R-I-A-K-A-K-I-S.net. You can actually find that at a lot of book and comic book stores, too. Yeah. It's definitely a well-known anthology. So for him to be in it, that's saying something. But, I mean, God, the art is gorgeous. The stories are powerful. It's just awesome. It's just awesome. So any final thoughts, you guys? I know I talked a lot, but... Um, Just a couple things. In the strips, he also does kind of like a... As he says... A mildly entertaining journal-like strip I started doodling back in 2010 out of sheer despair while quitting smoking. They are in only Greek, though. I can't read Greek. But the first one, it's like, oh, I know that. Been there before. It's it's kind of cool just to see. It. It's literally, there's a lot of stuff that's going on that's written out. But yet you can completely understand it, even though... If you've it's ever all had Greek to, to you, yeah. huh? Yeah, it's huh. all Greek to me. Shit. Nah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just another testament to the quality of the artist and the skillfulness. It's just 
you know, even though I couldn't understand what the hell he was saying, like I really yeah. liked, I really liked the the I could you could tell what was going. To on. be fair, the second and third strips, I really didn't get those. I oh, was yeah. like, I'm not quite sure what you're trying to say here without being able to read Greek. But the first one, I was like, oh, I know those feelings. Also, I just kind of wanted to say in regards to art, and I don't know how to properly articulate and express this well, but in the other Mused comic, Lost and Found, you have it opening with a snowflake and then I waking up in a field. And it's just so stunning to me the way that it's done because it's it's more lightly drawn. It's penciled in. Yeah, it's, it's done in pencil, sort of gestural with yeah, like little squiggly lines gestural. and circles. So and it's, it's slow, I guess, yeah, right? Because he's yeah. waking up mm-hmm. is the thing. And so as it goes on and he wakes up further, the drawings get clearer, more defined. Until yeah, the he forms starts, start to take shape. The medium changes from pencil to pen. Yeah, once he gets into a forest, it's all ink. And I don't know. I just thought that that was so amazing. I was just like, wow, that is so cool. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, that was that was really awesome. Powers of a competent artist. <laughs> Super competent. <laughs> well, any final thoughts before we move on? Check it out. Yeah, check it out. So you can find this at, like I said a couple times before, kiriakakis.net. That's K-I-R-I-A-K-A-K-I-S.net. We will have links to that in the show notes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you can also follow him on Twitter at... Kappa Fanta. That's K-A-P-P-A-F-A-N-T-A. Again, links will be in the show notes. All right, well, we've had a pretty long beginning section. We'll take a quick musical break. When we get back, we're going to get into Poor Mick by Cat Martin. You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us. to geek life we're going to jump into poor mick by cat martin now we met cat at sack anime or SACCon? no we met her at big wow oh a big wow okay so we met that was that was the admin and i you weren't there for that yeah that's why i didn't know so we <laughs> you met cat at big wow yes and she had some very interesting stuff to say about herself. Yeah, we recorded a great interview with her, so we'll go ahead and play that for you guys now. And then when we get back, we'll get into our review of Poor Mick. Hey, everybody, this is JP from Pandamanga.com. I'm here at Big Wow Comic Fest. I'm talking to Kat Martin. Kat, tell us about your comic, Poor Mick. Well, it's about Mick Spinner, who is a sailor with extremely bad luck, and he's trying to fix that. Extremely bad luck as a sailor. That that could be a problem. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so can you give us, I mean, don't give anything away, but can you give us like a little teaser about what the story is? Well, he's tried to fix his really bad luck and it's taken an even worse turn. So is it like supernaturally bad luck? It kind of goes that route. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Nice, nice. Awesome. What was some of the inspiration for that? We don't see a lot of sea-focused comics. Um, yeah, I've always been very interested in the ocean and my grandpa was a sailor. And oh, really? We, yeah. Nice. Spent a lot of time looking at ships and being on the beach so um i've always liked the history and the the lore probably so the admin came by and really liked your art style can you tell us a little bit about your art style and your history with artistically um well i've always been drawing since i can remember okay but pretty self-taught i took a few art classes in school but didn't go to art school or anything so started picking up watercolor my friend showed me how a little while ago and 
it just kind of clicked. So this is actually watercolor then? Yes. Okay, that because you see it's really popular these days to do like a texture over something done on the computer, but this is all done by hand, Definitely. analog with art. Really? I'm more... Um, that makes it so much more impressive. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I'm more comfortable with doing it traditionally. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. Then the choice to go black and white with that, that was interesting. So what made you choose that instead of going with color watercolor? Because it's water, you know, color, right? Well, I've always read a lot of Japanese manga, so um, you I like both. the black and white. Absolutely. Um, plus, I've never really done watercolor in black and white, so I thought I'd give it a go. Well, it looks really good. Oh, thank you. It's really very cool. It's just beautiful stuff. Why don't you plug yourself for our listeners? Can you tell us where we can find you online? Sure. So the website for the webcomic is um, poormick.com. Okay. And then um, my personal website is catmartin.net. Spelled K-A-T, Martin? Right. Well, we're really looking forward to reading it on the podcast and giving it a review. And thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you. Thanks again, Kat, for spending some time with us and talking to us. I know that it was a very busy and great con, and I appreciate you letting us bogart your table for a little bit for a little interview. Again, thanks again for hooking us up with the comic. So let's start talking about the comic. So what did you guys what do you guys think of the comic? Story wise, let's start story first. Just getting started. I mean, there's not a whole lot there. But uh, Yeah, it's very much just the mm-hmm. sort of beginning bit. Even though it's two issues in, it's it's like there wasn't wasn't a huge amount of story development, but it's, it has a direction it's headed. Well, there's right? yeah. development because I have yeah. plenty of questions that have caught my attention. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it really, really makes you beg for the next issue so it gets answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would really, I'm like looking forward to more. Right? Yeah. I mean, I finished the two of them. It's like, oh, what is that? What happens next? Ah! Yeah, and it's almost not until the end of the second issue that you really get the direction of where Mick is going. And why all this is happening. Yeah, the first issue, and the first maybe maybe third or half of it or so, the story, a lot happens at once. It mm-hmm. seems kind of rushed almost. Uh, basically, Mick is a really unlucky sailor. <laughs> really? <laughs> Seemingly supernaturally unlucky. And actually, I asked, I asked that very same question to Kat. And she said, she kind of like, kind of smirked and was like, yeah, kind of. You could say that. So, like, it seems like there's something supernatural in Mick's history, but they haven't really quite gotten into that yet. Mm. Uh, but, well, because there's a point early on where he gets stabbed, pulls the knife or pulls the sword out and kills the guy with his own sword. And the guy's like, what? And he's like, that's nah, just my luck. And then just mm. keeps on going. It's like, that's pretty good luck, Mick. <laughs> like, why is this poor Mick? Why isn't this lucky Mick? I don't get it. But like two frames later, he's blown up. Right, exactly. This is a type of luck that I've actually experienced myself a lot. <laughs> you have a lot of luck, but not in the positive or negative direction exclusively. It's like, just strong. Whatever's happening, it's just strong. Yes, and totally from left field every time. Hmm. Well, the story goes that Mick is on is an English sailor, and he gets attacked by, or they are attacking or gets attacked by a French ship. It's not real clear who started it, or at least in my recollection. And, it doesn't matter. They were often at war anyways. Yes, true. Anyway, so they're fighting along and, you know, like I said, Mick gets stabbed and things are kind of going to hell. And it sounds like they were expecting, the English were expecting a gentleman named Calhoun to come and provide reinforcements and help them. And, and they sort of blame him for the reason why the, the battle went south and their ship ended up getting destroyed. And uh, But that's they just kind of offhandedly mentioned that. But that ends up becoming a pretty important part in the story, especially coming into or towards the end of issue two. So after the ship gets destroyed, Mick, poor Mick, falls into the ocean and eventually surfaces up and finds his way to a small island. And pretty quickly has uh, a run-in with this completely naked woman with this long, beautiful, curly, dark hair who refuses to talk to him. Mm-hmm. but And has a bit kind, of a vicious streak to her. Kind of demands to have him do her bidding. <laughs> and what she wants is she wants him to mend this little boat and take her with him. He doesn't really know why she wants to go with him, doesn't know what's going on or where she came from. And she seems to have this kind of like creepy sharp teeth thing going on. Well, yeah. yeah, it's like something a little supernatural because her, her behavior in general is sort of animalistic, though, you know, totally coherent and able to communicate. Where she's just like, do this thing, do this thing. Right. Now, well, once they talks. explain what she is. Yeah, and actually yeah. they allude to it a little bit in issue one. While he's fixing the boat, she's sitting on the beach, petting a bunch of seals, just chilling with them. And it's kind of like, oh, I kind of wonder what's happening here. But then sure enough, it's confirmed in the next issue 
that, I don't know, I guess spoilers, if you don't want to know this, jump ahead a little bit, but she's a selkie, which basically is a person who is actually a seal that can take their coat off and turn themselves into a person, a human, but they need their selkie coat to be able to turn back into a seal and go to the sea. Yeah. And they're kind of people of the sea. Right. And often, and it's a, it's a classic mythology about the sea. And obviously cat has a a great respect for seafaring mythology, which is awesome. So the selkie, they're, they're often struggle in their stories because their coats get stolen and they can't turn back and go back to the sea. It's very sad. The funny thing is the only reason I know what a selkie is, is because I watched this show called lost girl (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and there's an episode where she goes to save basically it's all about like the fey culture and the fey world and the main character ends up saving a bunch of selkie from this strip club <laughs> where they've been forced into servitude to strip oh, because the guy has it? all of her <laughs> yeah get right it? i know stripping there yeah anyway so that's kind of embarrassing i don't know why i said that well, to be fair mine isn't that much better um i know it from an anime called tears to tiara which is kind of an anime about arthur and merlin in a way and they meet up with a selkie, and they accidentally burn her coat. <laughs> nice. That's sort of awful. Dicks. Yeah. They, they didn't realize it. They were kind of like making a bonfire, and they're like, oh, hey, look, this will burn nicely. <laughs> Before they meet up That's with her. terrible. Yeah. I didn't have any clue what a selkie was, so uh, I thought it was a construct made for this comic. So I was like, also, oh, can't wait till it gets answered. <laughs> a great movie kind of dealing with that, but kind of not. It's kind of a fairy tale, but not, is a... Um, independent movie starring Colin Farrell called Ondine. Um, Odine? Yes, which is deals with the uh, legends of Selkies. It's really, really a cool movie. Yeah, it's a classic thing, but admittedly, I'm not surprised you're not familiar with it because it's not real commonly talked about. Yeah. I mean, it's something that if people are into the seafaring lore, then that's something you'd know. But it's people always think, oh, seafaring lore, we're talking about mermaids. krakens and mermaids and a couple other things maybe, but but selkies are, are a huge part of that, but not often talked about. They don't sit at the popular table. They do not sit at the popular table with the kraken. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they, the kraken makes some good rum. Hey, it does. <laughs> anyway. And the mermaids put out. The mermaids. <laughs> <laughs> no, would you rather have the mermaid on top? No, I'm just kidding. Let's just move on. <laughs> Joe's turning red right now. (laughs) Anyway, so the story continues on and they end up getting into the boat, moving on out into the sea and they run into, they run into a merman and the merman actually starts, he's a slut apparently. Joe's fault. (laughs) Now who's turning red? Not me. But anyway, so they end up talking to, to him and it turns out that he's able to help Mick understand what the hell's going on and that she is a selkie and, for some reason, the Selkie seems to not want to communicate with Mick or even isn't able to, but does communicate with the with the merman and ends up getting an understanding of why it is she wants to go with him. And the thing is, is that who has her Selkie coat but Calhoun, that darn swashbuckling Calhoun. jerk. Calhoun! <laughs> so that's almost uh, more or less where it ends. <laughs> is Now we know that they're both looking for Calhoun because Calhoun's a jerk. And not only is he a jerk to... Because he doesn't come and help people that he promises to help, but he's also... But there is a past between Mick and Calhoun. Yeah, it seems really like it. And, it. and there's got to be something supernatural going on with well, Mick. I want to yeah. know why he survived that stab wound. No, there's more to it than that. When you first meet Mick, they oh, find him They in find a whale. him inside of a whale. Yes. And then he starts telling his story. And that's true. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one part where he makes a deal, too, which is unclear. Yeah. Yes. They, they have just mm. kind of text, almost dreamlike kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So he's seen some shit. So it seems like there's a lot of story coming. So, Kat, we can't wait to read more. Please let us know more. We want to read more. So, feeling pretty complete about the the story? Want to talk about the art, you guys? Yeah. So, what did we think of the art? I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you know, it definitely has some rough parts, but specifically the, the choice to go with the watercolor medium was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think Pink mentioned this earlier, too, is the, the way that characters communicate through facial expressions mm-hmm. and body language is very effective. It's got quite the like classic Celtic Gaelic art style. Um, if you've ever seen Secret of Kells or if you've seen 
brave and you've seen the tapestries and that sort of things and yeah, the paintings, yeah. it's got that sort of a feel. Definitely to has it. a strong influence from that. Yeah, yeah, very strong feel. And so the art is, for me, it feels flat. But that seems kind of justified that there isn't a lot of depth to like the characters as far as just they don't feel rounded out. They feel very, I don't know if I'm explaining kind it. Of like no, paper right. doll look yeah, to them. Paper yeah, paper doll look, which, like I said, it just fits the art style. Well, something perfectly. you see is that sometimes when the characters are bending their arms, that they don't actually hinge at a joint. They just make it like a, a circle. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, I don't know. It makes it oh, no, I know what you mean. It actually, um, it's in, uh, you circle. can see it in an Adventure Time when limbs bend. That yes. actually sort of makes, that's what makes it sort of contemporary for me or, or really seals it into a decade is the fact that that's really popular right now. Is it? I, I think so. I yeah. see it a lot in a lot, on a lot of people's blogs and that kind of thing. But um, actually what, what you were talking about where it looks kind of flat and I would say, I, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, I actually haven't studied a lot of uh, Irish ancient art. Mm-hmm. But the the flatness, and I, I have to assume, like, it's, is there something angular yeah. that refers to that? Mm-hmm. Yes, because, very much so. Because, see, when I saw flatness like that, it actually just reminded me of art from the ancient world in general, yeah. where you have that sort of mode of representation. And the reason why it's like that is because it's supposed to actually represent stuff, like abstract ideas and things that exist in mythologies. So when you see a person like in a pre-medieval artwork, for example, like even like early Christian artwork, it's yeah. because that stuff, it's not because a person can't draw very well. It's because that person is using those symbols and that sort of thing to communicate that this is a deity or something that's beyond, you know, uh, beyond, beyond the, our ability to yeah, render beyond, them. Beyond the know? human world. If right? I remember right, you didn't and, really see much as far as depth went in art until about the Renaissance era. Yeah, a little before then because there, there it started to sell. Right, mm-hmm. representation in general started to sell, but you know it's, it's parts of well, expressive that art anyway. This is really kind of reminiscent of, like you were saying, that very visceral early art. That's, you know, it's representing, it's pictorial, it's mm-hmm. a story. You know, old cave paintings or hieroglyphics, how yeah. they are incredibly detailed, but they're all very symbolic they're not, based on ideas not mm-hmm. actual things that we see which frankly to and me works perfectly think, for a seafaring story yeah totally yeah. it totally contributes especially to a, it. especially a mythology laden yeah. heavy story yeah yeah because that's you know the kind of imagery you associate it with too and it's interesting because the selkie character actually um if you studied like ancient my paintings from ancient mycenae or um that other like pretty much greece before it was greece towards the sea Mycenae-era. near crete yeah exactly um, that girl, she actually looks like a canonical girl from that time because of this big black, you know, big black hair that's really curly and wavy and everywhere. That was, um, idealized back in that time. Mm-hmm. The character design for, for the Selkie is, is beautiful. There's several scenes that are just fantastic. The cover of the second book is amazing. Is that the second book? Yeah, yeah it's yeah, book two. Yeah, the cover of the second book is just amazing. She's I really love gorgeous. that. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautifully done. The watercolor is color there. Actually, that's something we should talk about. The the on the covers, the watercolor is color. But when we say watercolor, don't mistake that for actually meaning there's color inside. She actually did a gray t- a grayscale watercolor. Wash, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's actually like yeah, gray gray watercolors or black and white watercolors inside, which is great. It wasn't like you know she did a gray filter in Photoshop or something. Mm-hmm. We talked about it, and she said she really likes to do watercolor, and she wanted to try and do. A black and white watercolor for a comic book because she loves the black and white. She grew up on reading black and white comics, Japanese comics, things like that, where that's very common. And so she thought it'd be interesting to try with something like this. And I think it works really well. Oh, yeah, it works great. I thought that the watercolor rendered water in such an incredibly beautiful way. Yeah, it looks like everything in this comic looks wet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it may on purpose in a good way. It's just amazing. Yeah. And there's some scenes that are just masterfully done. The scene where he falls into the water and there's this just gorgeous, I don't know how to describe there's just this motion to the water, this motion to the waves, and he's deep down and you can you can just feel him plummeting down with bubbles coming out. It's just Oh, it's such a cool scene. It's so organic. That, yeah. It looks so organic that like only water could, oh my gosh, express water. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. There's a couple other oh, scenes, Now too. that's meta. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple other scenes, too. Like when he starts telling the story, he pours this teacup and the water comes out of the teacup and begins to start the next uh, f- frame. Of the yeah, next it begins panel. to feel the ocean. Yeah, the it's, it's, yeah, it's very creative. And then um, there is a scene where it starts raining. And, you know, she uses light water and then it gets darker and darker. And there's 
a couple mm-hmm. paints, so you get the feeling that it's starting to come down heavy. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just on rain. It was mm-hmm. just, she had like a little buildup and she used the watercolor really effectively to really have you experience that because it's something everyone's experienced. Arguably some of the most gorgeous scenes in this, aside from some of the shots of the Selkie, but some of the most gorgeous scenes are the scenes that are rendering these big, massive waves or are deep underwater, but this just has lots of ocean. Those mm-hmm. scenes that have lots of ocean are just gorgeous. And it's really interesting, too, because she uses that same sort of texture to express sky, too. And, you know, sky and water are totally two different things. But at the same time, you know, they, they're both effective. Mm. Both blue, too. And it, I think a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Not always, Jackass. I don't know. When you're out, like on the actual ocean, the sky and the ocean have a really not quite dichotomy, but one of those strange effects that. You can almost not tell where the other ends and the other begins. Mm-hmm. They definitely had some clever coverage of cleavage um, <laughs> in the first one. She <laughs> all that shows hair, up, man. all that her. Yes, they uh, and then and some thought bubbles or not dialogue dialogue bu- bubbles. Um, <laughs> it was definitely creative how they play that. It usually is though in most things. And sure, you know, you, we, I kind of wonder if we live in the age where we need to cover that up. But I, I can understand, you know, and appreciate a G or PG rating. Yeah, but I think also it's like at some point, like it's just some people do it to prove a point where they're just like, I'm drawing boobs because you shouldn't care. And I think, you know, maybe she doesn't need to doesn't need to or doesn't want to be in that conversation about it. So she's just taking it out of the equation. That and it could express the sort of attitude of the character modesty, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. Yes, I don't know. Or lack thereof, depending on how they go about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how Selkies feel about that or if they even care, but, right? you know, it's makes not the real state. He's like, put a shirt on! And he just kind of like forces his shirt on her. <laughs> now, did anybody else get like a little a little bit of a tsundere sort of feel from the from the Selkie? Well, man, that's how I live my life. So maybe that's why I'm so, <laughs> maybe that's why I'm so receptive to her. Because I'm just like, yeah, I know that girl. Fuck you too. You know? It's like jagged teeth. She's a demon. I'm like, no, she's not. She just misunderstood. <laughs> oh, man. I, I just thought it was really cool. And something that one of the first things I asked Kat when we were talking was, is this something that you actually did with watercolor, watercolor, like traditional media? And then scanned it in, or did you draw this on the computer? And is that textures and stuff? And and I mean, if you really are reading the book instead of just scanning through it, like I did when I just walked up to the booth right away, it's very clear that this is traditional media scanned yeah, in. It's I been. just beautiful. If you would have said she did that digitally, I would have been like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. Another detail that caught my eye was his arm tattoo. It says something. And I kept scouring each panel and just, you know, right when you think it'd get big, you know, she doesn't fill it in. And I was like, oh. yeah, this guy's got tattoos all over the place. He's got one on his chest and one on each arm, it seems. And the, the, that tattoo's got to have some kind of a meaning, I think. Oh, I, don't, yeah. I just, I'm so interested because now after issue two, it's like we're ready for the, for the story to happen. For well, not the story. There's already been plenty of story, but we're ready for the adventure to begin. You know, we have a direction, we have an antagonist, we have protagonists, and we're ready to go. You know, they both yeah. have a place that they're headed and there's something going on and it's it's and they both have a reason to be trying to head after this Calhoun guy. Now it's like, who is Calhoun? I want to meet him. What's happening? Yeah. Honestly, like after book one, I was like, mm. after book two, I'm like, oh, where's the next book? I know, right? Yeah. Pretty much when we learn that they want something and they're after it, you're just kind of like, whoa, give it. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now, now. It's yeah. ready. Now, Although, now, to be now. fair, I actually, now. I mean, I know we complain a little bit about wanting, you know, more story, but I think it more springs from us liking the story and wanting more story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Instead of feeling like there's not enough in there for the amount of pages we've seen. I Like I said earlier on, I thought that there was, it was a little squeezed in the first little bit of the book, of the first book. But I would say the latter half of the first issue and the entirety of the second issue had a nice, even pacing. It didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel too slow. It felt like they took time to develop a little bit of a relationship between the characters, even though they weren't actually talking. Although Mick seems to kind of yap at her incessantly. (laughs) (laughs) I did have a lot. I had a problem keeping my attention with the second issue, but the first one, I guess, like you said, is those short bursts where it's like three different stories in one piece. Mm -hmm. And I kind of got excited when they're on the desert island because one of my favorite stories is survival on desert island, like the the K and uh, Lord of the Flies type stuff. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah. And then at the end, it's like, oh, and now there's a ghost ship. And can I just say the way that she drew the ghost ship sitting on the water? So pretty. Like, I'd love to have a print of that. Just it's almost like part of the water, the way it looks. Mm -hmm. It's neat to see a. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, very much so. 
I, I really like the way that she's used selectively used hard dark lines here and there in and amongst the just the wash and, and the smooth brush strokes of watercolor because watercolor mm-hmm. is so sort of blurry and dreamy and and using that in conjunction with or using that in harmony with having these beautiful sharp dark lines that define you know the characters and you know the ships and the items and things like that i'd love the way that that turned so out so they just kind of hold you in while you're floating around the, the rest of the image i yeah, think exactly it's nice anyway any final thoughts about this before we go go give her ratings well um what's really interesting is you can tell that like um you can tell she's not formally trained or or if she was formally trained she's at the beginning of that but at the same time this is a testament to the fact that you don't really need you know a ton of formal training to be able to push yourself to your limits because she obviously she has things that she loves like her watercolor and 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 her love for this for the scene that kind of thing and it actually contributes really well to her work where she's able to use her strengths and push them to the forefront where you don't even care and i think a lot of people should take a cue from that whereas you know if you feel like you you can't make a work because you have certain shortcomings uh you should always remember that you have certain kind of you ha- you also have your own strengths that you need to you know capitalize on and she's done that really well. Yeah, yeah, she's developed a style. If you go to her website where you can see her portfolio and her sketches and stuff, like she has some really, really, really gorgeous stuff that is not at all in this style. Yeah. So I you mean, can it, tell that you, she yeah, can do that. Gonna, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, even, this is a, I mean, to draw this way is a decision. It is not a limitation. It's not, this is as good as it gets, you know. And this is something that I think a lot of people that choose to draw in a very expressive, cartoony kind of way that. They struggle with people going like, well, is that all you can do? It's, you know, it looks cartoony, so you must not be very good or simple. Like, that's not it at all. It is a choice. Yeah. She decided to do it this way. You know, she's, you know, playing off of those traditional art styles and it's lovely, but, you know, her skill is, is, is grand. I mean, you go on the website. Yeah. It's I really was going to say, beautiful you know, stuff. no traditional training. Oh, well, cause damn, girls yeah. got right. skills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I saw some I saw some stuff where that looked a little dubious and that kind of thing. Sure. But at the same time, it's just like, God, like, why would you, you know, why would you uh, why would you care? Yeah, and that's absolutely. why that's why I notice it, because just because I, I can't not notice it taught to notice it because but. you are our battle axe. Ah, <laughs> our thunk, right, Joe? Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> she gets to hold the axe while she's up. listen know. to episode three of four J's in a comic from waterfrontcomics.com in Sassoon, California. Um, to kind of get the battle axe oh, reference. Oh, yes, the obligatory Waterfront Comics plug. Yes. Oh, right. Every, every of course, show. of course. So, starting with Brian, ratings out of five. I'm going to give it a three because I am genuinely interested in it. But at the same time, if we're getting more questions and not much in the way of answers, I'm going to start feeling like I don't want to keep going with this mm-hmm. because... Like, it's one of those things, like, with loss. It's just, like, compound questions and questions and questions and never get any answers. I'm like, I'm out here. Done. Don't care. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much my – more of my concern or my concern of where it might go if there's a lot more questions. So you're concerned that there's just meandering, adding more and more questions. And if that's the case, you might not like it. Yes. But what you've seen so far suggests you do like it. Yes. Cool. And then it turns out they're all dead. It was all a dream ah, in a snow globe. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> From an autistic boy. So oh. Joe out of five, uh, give it a three, five, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the, the same worries about it. That if the story doesn't seem to keep going, that it's just going to feel like I'm being taken on a boat ride. Wah, wah, wah. And there's so much potential in the story oh, that so much, if, if it does start to flesh out instead of being kind of like this vague, well, we got to find this Calhoun guy because he's he's messing with everybody. If there's like a reason that they have to find Calhoun or that these ghost pirates know about why Calhoun's a, a bastard. what he is. Yeah. <laughs> then, yes, this could be very interesting very quickly. Or it could continue to be two people and a mermaid stranded at sea. Well, you know, I think that, I don't know, I keep wanting to argue with you guys. <laughs> well, this is the review section. It's not time for that. <laughs> Nero. I'll give it a four and a quarter. I think that she's done two strong episodes and they're, it's got a strong foundation. And so I'm g- giving her the allowance of a scratch of a third episode. So because third's horrible, I'm still going to read the fourth. <laughs> and 
the way the, she's going so far, she's got two strong ones. Oh, I don't expect a scratch for three and four. So that's why I'm going to give it a little bit more than a four. That's mm-hmm. a pretty generous rating for me. I'm freaking shocked. Yeah. Wow, that's man. Yeah, that's probably think, the highest yeah. rating you've ever given. I, I don't think there is a higher rating that he's given. Well, I've also read this one probably more times than some other comics because we've had this one queued for a while. Yeah, we keep having these double wide episodes and it's just our scheduling has been whacked out. And so this one has been sitting there waiting for a while, which is really unfair. Sorry, cat. <laughs> so it resonated with you after. Uh, well, yeah, I'm sucker for sailors. What can I say? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so pink. Are you hitting on my husband? I will cut you. <laughs> I don't care how perfect you are, Brian. I'd love to see Brian in a sailor. I will perfectly group. cut oh, you. Oh <laughs> god, she will go Eastman turtles on. Oh your shit! Oh shit! <laughs> um. Actually, 4.5 on the contingency that three get, issue three gives me candy because, you know, I'm waiting for some I'm, I'm waiting for at least one little thing to happen, you know, or one of the, exactly what's been said. Well, one of the questions at least to be answered and something more other than just like a building and building and building. Um, that being said, too, I also give it one of my higher ratings because I have a I don't know, a great fondness for anything that evokes the ancient world, because there's this kind of mystery and intrigue that's automatically there just because it's like, you know, this other time. It, it's otherworldly. It's mysterious. So, um, yeah, just really liking it a lot. Yeah, I think that I'll give it a solid four. I really liked it a lot. I think that it's just like you said, it's amazing to see anything that invo- evokes this, the old world or has this sort of mythological sort of sort of flavor to it. And I am really enthralled with the idea of digging deeper into the sailor and at sea sort of mythology. And mm-hmm. I, you know, she's already reaching out to what could arguably be, you know, as far as kind of mainstream culture and understanding, a little bit more obscure sort of things with using a selkie right out of the gate. And so that's exciting. And I'm hoping that that I'm hoping that she's going to come through with something in these next couple issues that it's going to make me go, what the hell is that? I need to look that up because that's awesome. Like, I would love for her to introduce me to an entirely new piece of the you know sailor mythology or culture. It's freaking awesome. So yeah, I think you know, wrapping up, I think we all really enjoyed it quite a bit. Kat, oh, yeah. I really like your stuff a lot. So you can read poor Mick at poormick.smackjeeves.com. And you can check out Kat's website, catmartin.net. That's K-A-T-M-A-R-T-I-N dot net, where you can find her portfolio for her designs, sketches, even some video. So she's got quite a portfolio going on there, and it's just lots of really good stuff. And then links to a store where you can get some of her prints, which are beautiful. Actually, when we met her at Big Wow, the admin picked up a gorgeous print. You know those shots where you see a iceberg and you see like the tip of the iceberg and then this giant iceberg under it? Mm. It's a similar kind of idea, except with this you see the, the giant squid sort of reaching up for it from under the water just before it touches it. It's just this really cool shot. So she has yeah, a lot of really Jaws gorgeous stuff. Shot. Kind of. So she's got a lot of really gorgeous prints available on her on her site, catbarton.net. So check her stuff out. Thanks again, Kat, for hooking us up with your comic and taking time to give us an interview. Really enjoyed reading it and talking to you. And we look forward to seeing you at future conventions and reading issue three. Well, thanks to you for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and fill out the form located there. Music has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs are located in our show notes. For more information about AirPlus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. This is Nero saying hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) See you guys next time. Thanks for listening.
Are you hitting on my husband? I will cut you. <laughs> I don't care how perfect you are, Brian.